What is crackalacking, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you once more without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Prommel. We're in the stretch run of our Team Look Ahead series. We're up to the Orlando Magic, and I'm speaking with none other than Keith Smith. He's a contributor to Spot Rack, Celtics blog. He's also on Spotify Green Room. He has a YouTube show slash podcast called The Front Office Show. You should check them out on Twitter. You can follow them at Front Office Show, spelled exactly as it sounds. And follow Keith on Twitter, at Keith Smith NBA. Again, he covers the league at large, but he is based out of Orlando, knows a bunch about the Mavericks. The conversation was incredibly insightful. Before we get started, just the usual housekeeping notes. Please, please, pretty please, with whatever your preference is on top. Actual sugar, stevia, nothing, something healthy, whatever. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Hardwood Knox wherever you get your podcast. Downloading every episode helps us a ton. If you head over to iTunes, whether or not you use it, and search Hardwood Knox and throw us a five-star rating and also write a review, those two things help us out as well, looking at the rankings and the charts just to help us continue getting the podcast out there. If this is your first time listening to Hardwood Knox because you are just a very enthusiastic Orlando Magic fan, or you just want to hear Keith and I wax poetic about RJ Hampton slash Jalen Suggs, maybe you're just here at random. Congrats. That's awesome. If you're here at random, if anyone's here at random, let me know. That's fun on Twitter at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. But consider throwing us that permanent subscription. We cover the NBA at large. Like I always say, we are pleasantly sub-mediocre and modestly insufferable. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. We are on YouTube, youtube.com. Search Hardwood Knox. We will come right up. And we're on Instagram at Hardwood underscore Knox. Also, before we get started, Wendell Carter Jr. has signed a four-year, $50 million extension. As regular listeners know, I've had a backlog of these podcasts, and Keith and I ended up recording a couple days before he signed that extension, and we both talked about Wendell Carter Jr. And I want to echo some of those thoughts here. Um, I don't I don't think we've gotten any of the details. Ironically, Keith is probably the guy who has like all that minutiae down if there's any special options or or guarantees, but it's a four-year $50 million deal. I don't know that Wendell Carter Jr. signs that unless it's fully guaranteed. That just feels like a number where if it follows just the regular base, he's never going to be making $14 million. That makes me wonder if there's a player option on that final season, 2025-2026, which would be his age 26 campaign. Um, maybe there is, maybe there isn't my guess would be, I'm just going to say no, because I feel like Orlando would, as a team would probably want to try and lock him down as long as possible to give them flexibility. I love this gamble by them. I think I'm very curious to see what it says about Mo Bamba's future there. You can still pay two centers. I think that's also a luxury here is that I'd be a little bit surprised now if Mo Bamba does get an extension, but now that you're starting center for, let's just say moving forward, making $11.2 million dollars. Uh, that's not really that much at all. And even to the larger context of the um, just the front court in general, you know, Jonathan Isaac's number is not astronomical. He's in the first year of that four year, $80 million extension that he signed. And so sort of moving forward, you're what you're looking at is you're just going to pay, you know, um, your starting front court under $30 million basically per year. Uh, it could go up depending on what Jonathan Isaac has some guarantees in there. I think he's guaranteed four years and $69.7 million. I probably should have bought this number up in front of me. I just, the price from the team, I want every player to get paid. I wish Wendell Carter Jr. got double, whatever. I don't think he's worth double at the moment, but you get the gist. This is a nice, and I think it's good for Wendell Carter Jr., by the way, who has not just had the career that people expected when they were calling him baby Al Horford. Uh, this preseason specifically, it felt like he's playing more like baby Al Horford right down to still not taking enough shots when he's catching the ball, especially towards the perimeter. He's not looking at the basket as, as much as you would like. I would still say a little bit more than he was in Chicago. Um, he did take 3.2 three-point attempts per 36 minutes in the preseason, knocked them down in a 44.4% clip. Again, we're dealing with a, a four-game sample size here. So I don't want to get you know four of nine from three is just not this huge sample size. That being said, he was more aggressive. If he wasn't looking at the basket, he was at least putting the ball on the floor. I still think he can be a really good passer. I don't know if he's ever going to be the type of big that's a defensive anchor, but he has some squishiness to him, some switch to him, portability to him, however you want to frame it. And when you look at who moving forward, the frontline partner should be for him and Jonathan Isaac. He doesn't need to be just the backbone of a defense since Isaac is sort of that 
defensive system unto himself type guy. And so I think this ends up being a, a really good gamble for Orlando because if it if he doesn't pan out, this is you look at that salary and it's basically gonna be like mid-level money moving forward. Once the cap goes up in a you know a couple of years, uh we're already thought look the mid non-taxpayers middle exception is already around 10 million dollars. He's making just a, a few million over that throughout this entire contract. That's for the team again that seems like it could be great value. And if he ends up hitting and it's just like this league average or better, better than average starting center. I think there's still a chance for that. This, this dude is 22 years old. This ends up being huge for the team makes it easier to flesh out the rest of, of their roster. They've taken some gambles. I think even Jonathan Isaac was a gamble. Just now looking at his health track record, we know the faults contract is a little bit of the gamble has shown a lot in Orlando, but he's also working his way back from a torn ACL like, like Isaac. And you still, your offense is going to be inherently limited, even when he's hitting those mid-range jumpers, uh, if he's going to be your primary guy. And now they have Jalen Suggs in there. I, I like the thought process behind this. Again, I am curious to see what it means for Mo Bamba. I don't think it rules out him coming back, but I doubt you're going to pay you know two bigs that much money. And like, if Mo Bamba is a good season, could he end up making more than Wendell Carter Jr.? If a number is like well short of Wendell Carter Jr., where it's like, you know, are you doing three and 24 from Obama? It's not an astronomical price, a very movable contract. I do think if he doesn't sign an extension, I wouldn't call this fate a complete, but my guess would be that he gets traded by the end of the season. That Those are just my thoughts on Wendell Carter Jr. And it echoes a lot of, I'm not speaking on behalf of what Keith said, but we got into that a little bit with the discussion. I just wanted to make that note since, again, Wendell Carter Jr. did sign the extension after um, Keith and I chit-chatted. But with all this out of the way, let's get to the actual conversation about the Orlando Magic. We went in-depth. We went kind of long. It was about an hour. It was fun. It's a great convo. Please stay tuned to check it out. Depending on when you're listening to this, because of the way you know ad locators work and when I wanted to put this up on a Saturday, there will be timestamps in the description where you can check it out at Hardwood Knox. Once it's promoted there on Twitter, there's going to be timestamps on it. But let's get to talking a bunch of Orlando Magic with Keith Smith. Keith, thank you so much for coming back to the Hardwood Knox podcast to school me on some Orlando Magic talk. Before we dive right in, first and foremost, how how are you doing? I'm good, man, and thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. It's always uh, fun to, to go deep on the Magic. Yeah, um, they are, you know, I was doing the outline that I was sending to you, and they're just a team where everything feels so decentralized where I just wanted to ask you about like every single player individually, because I've like almost no idea where they stand long-term with the magic. I think probably uh, the best place to start is with Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac, both of whom are recovering from torn left ACL injuries. Do we have any sense of when we can expect even either one of them to take the court for this squad? We really don't. And that's kind of unfortunate because they're, pretty key guys for this team in the, the hope was that Isaac would have been ahead of Fultz. He got hurt months ahead of when Fultz did, mm-hmm. but when training camp rolled around and media day came and went and it was, he's still not ready to go and it's going to be some time. And now there's been snippets and things shared on social media of the two of them doing encore work and the like, but it always seems to still be individual work off to the side, nothing in the team setting and those kind of things. And basically the team has never put any kind of timeline on it. It's something that, that Jeff Waltman doesn't really believe in because he doesn't want guys pushing themselves too hard to meet a timeline. So he basically, his only updates have been both of them are doing well they're doing everything that's asked and we hope to see him on the court soon which is about as not an answer as you can give <laughs> and and that's kind of where we're at right now so we we don't know when we're going to see these guys uh uh play again and it's probably going to be uh at least a little while into the season my my rough guess has been sometime around the holidays yeah and that's like i i guess that would be that's that's roughly 12 months from when both of them um, tore their, their ACLs. It's just weird to be, you know, 10 months into the process essentially. And it doesn't feel like there's any concrete updates on, on either one of them since the timeline for return on those ACL injuries normally seems to be like between 10 and 12 months or eight and 12 months. I thought there'd be like just something more leading into, you know, when training camps opened. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you a hundred percent. Isaac, you know, he, he had had the knee injury 
prior to the bubble and then really kind of blew out the rest of the knee in the bubble. And that was the, the unfortunate part was he was getting back from that initial injury. And now he's back into a position where it's, he's got to work through still whatever was your residual from that now added this on top. And that's, I think why they're being kind of careful. He's a guy that they did signed long-term to an extension. So they've got him under contract through the 24, 25 season. So I think they're just trying to be very cautious with not getting him back too early. Cause I think their hope uh, as the magic is, Hey, when we get this guy back, hopefully we can get him back and, that's it. Now he's back and we're not running into any of this other stuff because outside of Jalen Suggs, who I know we're probably going to talk quite a bit about, he's easily the most important player in the franchise right now. Let's talk about Jalen Suggs. Number five pick. I think a lot of people were surprised that he fell to, to number five as good as Scotty Barnes has looked with the Raptors. You know, I would have taken him at number four. Uh, how much agency over Orlando's offense does he get right away? And I think it's easy to say a lot, but I'm like looking beyond what they might need him to do as a scorer. Is this someone who's going to be tasked with just a ton of half court initiation and, and just table setting for others right out of the gate? Yeah. I like the way you, you put that and ask that question of, you know, how much is kind of on him to really kind of, uh, captain the offense right because it's one thing to throw a young scorer in there and say hey go do your thing uh, i think a lot of guys are to some level capable of that but when it is really hey we're going to run the offense through you and we need you to be our half court initiator we need you to bring the ball up all those things that's that's when it gets a little harder now I, I still think the answer is a lot, <laughs> um, <laughs> as you said. Um, so I promise I'm not copping out and taking the easy answer, but I just think it's this team could be really ugly offensively on some nights because it is their probably most proven creator off the dribble at this moment is probably Cole Anthony in his second year. And that's, that's probably not a good thing uh, when it's a second year guard as your, your most proven guy um, off the bounce. But I think what they're going to do is, and especially until Fultz is back, it's going to be Anthony and Suggs and they're going to say, Hey, we're going to run stuff through you guys. And then I think the third guy um, that they'll try to run some stuff through quite a bit is Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, they put in some actions where it's, hey, we're going to run some of that stuff. The, the the things that, if you remember back to when he was drafted, there was a lot of Al Horford comps with mm. him. You're starting to see those start to come back out again because they're kind of putting it on him of, hey, we're going to run elbow actions through you. We're going to run uh, high post stuff through you. The, this is where it's going to be. They've, they even their last preseason game messed around with him starting with Mo Bamba. I saw uh, that. Together. That was uh, that was something. It, it, it definitely was something. It was uh, very unexpected, but I think it's kind of setting the tone for the regular season, which is going to be, we're going to try a whole lot of stuff, see how these pieces fit. And hopefully that'll guide our decision-making as we move forward. But I think the challenge um, for this team is going to be that scoring and that scoring creation, whether it be create a shot for yourself or create a shot for others, they're going to have to scheme for a lot of their baskets versus, uh, you know, running your standard pick and rolls and isolation actions. And when it goes that way, it's going to be Suggs who's doing a lot of it because I think even as a rookie, he's probably the guy who has the most promise and most talent right now. And he doesn't even have like the safety net that, and I'll put safety net in air quotes if this was, um, you know, a video podcast of Jalen Green in Houston where there's even Kevin Porter Jr. showed flashes as a point guard last year. There's DJ Augustine there. You know, you have Eric Gordon there. There's just, you mentioned Cole Anthony. They have RJ Hampton. I guess when Markel Fultz is healthy, he's sort of, helps alleviate some of that burden but is there any you know it's not even a sense at this point but who would you like to see him log uh, a majority of his minutes next to in the backcourt that might just help streamline his role yeah it, it really is there's no clean answer to that i i, I they did we i asked i was the one who asked the question of jeff weltman after they drafted Suggs of now you've kind of a lot of guys who overlap <laughs> quite a bit with Suggs and Anthony and Fultz eventually and Hampton and and even to some extent Gary Harris is another guy who's probably best as uh, on the two line he's not not someone who's going to move over to the one very often and and he gave a really good answer of 
talked a lot about how more and more teams are playing with dual ball handlers, dual point guards, call whatever you want there. And he said, did we think we might have guys with size in Suggs and in Hampton? Maybe they can play three guys at once who can do those kind of things. And he, and he spoke about how so much right now is about finding ways to create offense and, and make the game easier for everybody else and in those kind of things. So I think we're going to see quite a bit of Suggs, Anthony, in Hampton together at times. Uh, I want to see Suggs play with all of them, I guess is the easy answer. I, I, I like Gary Harris as a player. I don't really like him all that much for this magic team. Cause I just don't see what the future is there. I think he's probably one of the more likely to be traded players on this roster. Um, so I don't know that I want to invest a ton of time with a Suggs Harris backcourt. And they also think Harris just out of necessity is going to play a lot out of position as a three and, uh, more so than the two where I think he really fits, but yeah, it's so give me Suggs and Anthony minutes quite a bit. Give me some Suggs and Hampton minutes. Give me some Suggs and uh, Fultz minutes when Fultz gets back. Just let, let, let's see. Cause it's that that's kind of where we're at this year. Yeah, it's funny how Harris and Terrence Ross even they just you have to consider them threes almost with the way that this roster yeah. is built right now. Is there and it doesn't have to be a head-to-head thing, but when you look at just because they have so many guards, um, who intrigues you more long term for this team between RJ Hampton and Cole Anthony? I'll preface this with we know what both brings. I find myself just far more intrigued with uh RJ Hampton's game. There's like a a suave like smoothness to the way that he plays with with them with some flair and i think we saw a lot of that in that preseason game against the spurs but i'm just curious as to where you land between those two yeah and it's not that cole anthony is like this you know wizened old veteran that's so much older than rj hampton but he is a year older than hampton so so i i lean hampton myself too or we've already heard that he's still kind of growing um they they think he's now maybe a legit six four six five they think he may still have another inch in him uh to grow which that would be huge for just his uh, overall versatility of his game but yeah i I think he's a really fun guy because i think um i have doubts how much effectiveness cole anthony will bring to a team uh, especially when it's trying to be a good team as an off-ball player where i think hampton can function off ball i think just the the time he spent in denver uh he learned the the uh what am i trying to say the value of off-ball movement he learned making cuts at the right yeah. time and in the right places and those kind of things, the value that has. And I think that's shown up a little bit with Orlando last year was kind of messy just because the end of their season was such a disaster. But this year in the preseason, again, playing off Wendell Carter Jr., where they're running some of that action off of him, you can see Hampton has that probably figured out better than everybody else. And I think just that ability to play both on and off the ball, that really intrigues me with him. Is so this this question is kind of pointless, but I, I just find it funny because does you look at last year's roster? Will this year's team have anyone that averages six assists per game, or who do you project to even lead this team in assists per game? Oh, <laughs> That's a tough question. Um, yeah, probably I don't know that they'll get to six. I, I think Anthony and Suggs both could get there. Um, and so I'll, I'll say. Yes, someone will. Who it will be, I don't know. Um, but I will. I do think someone will get there, or they'll have maybe three, four guys in the four to five range uh, per game, and that that may be where where kind of comes from. Just because I don't know how much it's going to be. Here's our one ball handler that that's going to do most of the initiation. Just because I think that's going to be so split up throughout the year. They did not have anyone get there last year, but I think when you, you know, you had like Fournier, Vooch and Gordon there for part of the season, they combined for like 12 assists per game between them without having them. I'm with you. I think someone gets to six this year. Not really an important question, but just sort of <laughs> speaks to the, the oddballness of, of this oh, roster. Yeah. Looking at the long view and let's say he's able to stay healthy is Chumo Kiki, the, the third most important player on this team. And what, what should be some realistic expectations for him heading into this year? Yeah, that's a really fun question. I'm I'm gonna say no. I, I think it's um I think it's Suggs, then Isaac, then probably Hampton, and then maybe Chumo Kiki. I, I think they're still trying to figure out what they have in him. Mm-hmm. He had 
kind of an interesting year last year. There was a thought of uh, when he came into the league, you know, hey, this guy may be able to play some some two. And then I think uh, as he rehabbed through injury, they, and just as the league just continues to downsize, there's more of a thought of, hey, maybe he can play some four uh, now. And, and, and his real position is probably really the three. But I think he showed some off-the-dribble shooting ability that we didn't necessarily expect him to have. Uh, he really competes defensively. I'm not going to say he's a, a good defender yet, but he he's, he gets after it. He can hold his own against most perimeter guys, and and then he does okay against the, the bigs who are uh, uh, aren't just going to back him down and put him in the goal. He, he does okay there. So I think he's right there with Hampton behind Isaac and Suggs is some somebody who they're really looking to see. The challenge is he's hurt right now. And this is even this early in the year, this preseason time, this is uh development time he's missing. And that's that's kind of rough because you want to have him out there. They especially while Isaac isn't out there, that was an opportunity for him to play 25, 30 minutes a night. And then when Isaac comes back. We'll see. It gets a little harder to make sure he gets it. That may turn into 15 to 20 minutes a night. And for this team, it's all about development. So you really want to make sure he's out there getting all he can. And he's just, you know, continuing to work through some injuries right now. Yeah, it's, it always seems like he's, I guess, probably because he missed his his rookie season. Technically, it always feels like he's working through something. But I am with you. He had, I did not know that he had any semblance of an off the dribble jumper to his game. He was also just a little bit better moving without the ball. Than I expected mm-hmm. him to be. And so I remain intrigued with what he's going to be long term. Um, what specifically, you already mentioned Wendell Carter Jr. What specifically do you think he needs to show to the Magic this year to for them to view him as part of their their long term core? He's almost like, you know, maybe they can play Bamba and, and Wendell Carter Jr. together a ton, but it almost feels like it's going to be an either or situation. And you have both who, are extension eligible right now and i'm just i'm very interested to see you know you mentioned some of the actualization of the wendell carter jr to al horford comparisons and how this team is going to run some of its offense through him uh, do you think that they already view him as maybe part of that core piece or and is there any specific part of his game again that that you're looking to see whether it improves or or is at least augmented this year yeah, I think they view him as potentially part of that. I don't I don't think they're locked in, and I don't think they're locked in on Mo Bamba either. Now, Bamba has a little bit more organizational equity just because they drafted him. Uh, they really talked him up when they drafted him, and then his first couple years in the league, he's shown – basically nothing he just hasn't been very good and the the team has almost always been better uh, without him on the floor than they have been any of the minutes he played and he was kind of force-fed minutes early on Steve Clifford you could tell that was one of those where he didn't really want to play Mo Bamba as much as he kind of had to early (laughs) and it was um he would much have rather played Kem Birch uh than Mo Bamba and then I think even last year after the the uh the Vucevic trade I think it was all right hey we did this trade with the idea of Mo gets minutes and then I think that might have factored into the Kem Birch buyout a little bit of uh they were going to take that uh take that tool off your tool belt there and you're not allowed to use it anymore um so off he goes kind of the old uh, money ball approach of you can't start paying you tonight because I traded him um I I think that was a little bit of the the thought process there was we're going to force this and I think the idea with this preseason all the way into the, the regular season is going to be if either one of them wants to accept an extremely team friendly extension, you know, we're talking something that's in the eight, nine million range, mm-hmm. which I don't think either guy would ever do um, to start off with. Then we're going to let this play out all year. We'll have restricted rights and we'll figure it out. And I think part of to answer the Wendell Carter Part of it needs to be one of the two of you needs to shoot it well from outside if we're going to try this playing you together stuff. If not, then then it really becomes an open competition between the two of you. But I do know they like Robin Lopez. They want to get him in the mix too. I know we'll talk about him a little bit more uh, later. But I think with Wendell Carter, the idea for him is – they show we can run some stuff through you offensively because we know we can't do that with Bamba. But then you really have to show you can anchor the back line of the defense um, and, and hold your own in there and be a plus rebounder and, and all those things that we need out of a big because it, you, he's never going to be 
that great of a shooter and passer on the offensive end to offset if he can't defend. So that's going to be something he's going to have to really show to make sure he sticks um, with this team beyond this year. I've been impressed by a lot of what I've seen from Wendell Carter Jr. in preseason. I like this, um, and maybe it's a it's a role thing and expectations thing in Orlando, but he just seems to be playing a lot freer. I'd probably still like him to look at the basket more when he's catching it yeah. on the perimeter, but he does seem to be acting more decisively. I think he, he hit a trailer three in transition against the Pelicans. Um, I'm a lot – not that I was ever necessarily out on him, but like I'm more bought into him where it's almost, it feels like he was drafted again, where I don't know if he's going to be part yeah. of the magic long-term, but I I'm interested to see what we get of a full season of Wendell Carter jr. Unleashed. Yeah. I'm with you. He also had a really nice play um, in the game against Spurs where he drove a closeout. Uh, the, the defender, in my opinion, closed a little too hard considering it's Wendell Carter Jr. But he kind of <laughs> gave him a little show and go, uh, put it on the deck for a couple dribbles, and then uh, dimed up Mo Bamba right under the hoop. And Bamba finished. Bamba, as he's prone to do, turned the finish into a little bit more of an adventure than it probably needed to be. But it was a nice read and pass by Carter on the move. And though those are the things that are encouraging. And then, like, half of this roster or more he has to stay healthy too he's a guy who's continually had these uh you know kind of nagging injuries that have kept him off the floor and i think orlando would love it if they could get 70 to 75 games out of bomba and carter together to really wage that head-to-head to to figure out all right what is it we have here because you gotta kind of decide are we committing to one of these guys committing to both of them probably is a little bit of an overkill unless they uh you know kind of say all right we're just going to split the difference and we'll both take you know nine million a year and there it is there's our 48 minutes of center play for the next three years or so but yeah or is the answer which it's looked like for most of the first few years of their career it's neither one of these guys uh so they're, (laughs) they're really hoping one of the two will step forward this question will probably just resolve itself because of the the two primary players we're talking about in Wendell Carter Jr. and Mo Bamba, you figure on, I think at this point, yes, you want them to play in 70 plus games, but you probably expect them to miss a, a fair amount. But what, how does the center rotation get juggled with those two and Robin Lopez? Who would you guess is the player? And I, I feel like it's a matter between Robin Lopez and Mo Bamba that would get squeezed if all three of them are healthy, or is that sort of the point behind playing Wendell Carter Jr. and Mo Bamba together? is that then you ensure that you get ample minutes for all three of these guys. Yeah. So that's where it gets really kind of interesting. Cause they do like um, Franz Wagner playing some at the four and then uh, Mo Wagner, his brother, they also like what he brought and he probably played the best basketball of his career uh, with Orlando at the end of last season. Um, now you can look at that and say, well, yeah, pointless stats at the end of a junk season, but he still played well. And without Isaac, who is, probably the best four well not probably he is the best four on this roster if he's Um, not they have some real issues i think yeah exactly yeah then we're really in trouble um but i think that's where you start to look at and say all right how do we manufacture the four minutes and then we know we're covered at the five because at the five between bamba carter and lopez you've got 48 minutes of what they feel should be quality center play. It really, to me, how that shakes out depends on, or can we get away with Carter at the four for 15 minutes a night? Then, then it's, uh, either of the Wagner's in there and that's kind of how that goes um, until Isaac is back. And if we can, what does that look like? I think the idea for Robin Lopez is it's probably 10 to 15 minutes a night is his maximum that you're going to see him play. And that may even be nights where it's, you know, Bomba starts, Carter comes off the bench or vice versa. Uh, I think it probably would be Carter starts, Bomba comes off the bench, but Bomba's starting to show some stuff this preseason. But I think that's more the idea there is, all right, well, then what we'll do is those two guys will play probably 20 for 20 minutes each call it um there and then maybe carter gets a few more because he slides over and plays a little bit a little bit at the four and that's how you get lopez up to 10 to 15 minutes uh but the idea behind robin lopez signing here was it it was it was kind of interesting the the thought was 
hey, bring him in and he's going to beat the crap out of those two in practice every single day. And they're going to be better players because of it. it the, the whole hope was Robin Lopez can do that. And then if some team wants center help and wants to trade a second round pick uh, at the trade deadline because they, they need a big Robin Lopez at five million is a very easily movable trade. Then from Lopez's side, it was, all right, yo, am I going to go somewhere else and be a third big and do all this stuff? And he mm-hmm. likes that idea of I can be that veteran guy. And then it, people joke about it and laugh about it. But this dude loves Disney. So for his ability, his uh, opportunity to live here uh, and be that close, I mean, he, he tweets just about every off day that the team has that he's at uh, one of the Disney parks or the Universal parks and all that stuff. Um, by all accounts, he's living in his brother's house, uh, which is actually almost Walt Disney World property. Um, so that's uh, also kind of crazy. So yeah, so for him, he's kind of getting the chance to him in a place where I'm really going to be happy um, and I'll make the best of it while I'm here and I'm going to help these young guys get better. And I don't think he's the kind of guy who's going to raise any kind of stink if he you know, maybe goes a week without playing meaningful minutes because I think he just knows where he's at at this point in his career. Yeah, for sure. And I think it, juggling them is probably a lot easier while Jonathan Isaac is out and you don't have yeah. to worry about, you know, those 25, let's say to 30 minutes per game, whatever he winds up playing when he comes back at the four, just gone. Like there's just more minutes there to experiment if you really wanted to, where does Franz Wagner fit into all this, this season though? Do you, I guess the first question is, do you expect him to get real minutes with this team this year? And do you have early impressions of, of what he, he can do really well at the NBA level? Yeah. It's kind of funny, Dan, as you start to build out this, this rotation uh, you start running out of minutes really quickly because it's like all right well not everybody can play you know every single night and i think they do it sounds weird because they're obviously a very bad team but there are a lot of guys who need to play and you want to see play and franz wagner's right in that mix and i think the challenge with him is it's finding out what is he is he is he a three four is he a four is he a more of just a three and that's going to be what i think early on again while isaac is out and especially if okiki's out he's going to have his opportunities to play and -hmm. play quite a bit because they don't have anybody else who is really a three four on this roster he's the only thing that that even resembles that right now so i think you're going to see him get a ton of minutes early on and we'll start to get a real sense of all right what is this guy what can he do and i think that's actually a good thing because then by the time isaac is back okiki's back then it's all right this is where he's going to slot in and go and i think what you're kind of hoping for if you're the magic is your three four rotation gets taken care of between isaac okiki and, and franz wagner with a few leftover minutes at the four, maybe, and then a handful of leftover minutes at the three when you go small with guys like Harris, Hampton, or Ross uh, sliding up to that spot. I did, and this is the only team that I've actually asked this question for in the outline because they're so confusing. I asked you for what you might think would be there, and they don't have to be beholden to 10 guys when they're fully healthy. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't think that they will be. But what do you expect? You know, Mark Elfos and Jonathan Isaac are healthy. Healthy. How how do you think their like top ten in in minutes played winds up looking? Yeah, no one can see me, but I'm doing the shrugging man emoji from, <laughs> from uh, you know the internet because I who knows, right? The, I, I think I think the the blessing and the curse for Jamal Mosley is. There is no pressure on him to do anything, but let's see steady development of these young players. So I think if he even went into a night where it was, all right, hey, it's now we're into February, let's say. We, we're we not exactly pushing overly hard. I'm not going to play Terrence Ross tonight. There's just no reason to. He's not going to play. That frees up minutes for everybody else, and we go. Or if it's Carter and Bamba both are doing their thing, Lopez doesn't play tonight, fine. No problem. I think those guys at this point in their career, they kind of understand where that is at. I think they'll eventually even transition to that with with Gary Harris as well, where we'll be, all right, hey, we're, we've got other younger players who are here long-term we're going to look at. So here's what I'll say is, so assuming when Fultz and Isaac are healthy, I'll say it's the starting group. Most nights will probably look something like Fultz, um, Suggs, Isaac. I think those three are almost guaranteed one of the two bigs Carter or Bamba and then Okiki or 
Gary Harris, depending on where they're at in that point of the season, that guy probably plays the three. And then maybe Franz Wagner, if he really shows out and shows he's worth it. Then off the bench, you're going to get Anthony and Hampton are both definitely going to play major minutes every night. Ross will play his 24 minutes or so a night um, as an offensive guy, whatever. Big doesn't start out of Bomba and Carter. And then that last spot probably ideally would go to Franz Wagner um, if he's not starting, or maybe it's it's Okiki kind of in that last spot. And then that leaves guys like Michael Carter-Williams, who's hurt. He's probably not going to play very much uh, this year. And then that's where Robin Lopez clearly at that point is the third big. Ichuan Moore is just kind of there as a veteran bench guy mo wagner is is at the end of the bench and those guys probably won't play very much uh so i think that's going to be where it's at but i think how they get a lot if you look at it if you pulled up their basketball reference sheet at the end of the year i think you're going to see a whole ton of guys in the 15 to 30 minute per night range but you're going to have to really look at the games played because i think there's going to be a lot of guys who on this team maybe play 60 games just because i don't think they're going to push isaac overly hard or folds mm-hmm. when they get back and then i think some of the veteran guys there's just gonna be nights where it's you know what we're not playing you tonight because we just don't need to well you know let's uh really call the season what it is it's about development more than winning yeah th- just this roster in oklahoma city's like the the hierarchy just does not exist it's, yeah <laughs> it's kind of it's, yep. it's anarchy uh do you, i meant to ask you this do you think franz wagner can actually log a good amount of minutes at the three at the NBA level, I'm not offensively. I think it'll be fine. I'm just very curious as to whether he can hang there defensively. Yeah, I think he might struggle a little bit defensively. I got really nervous um, in summer league when he was guarding Jonathan Kaminga one on one, and Kaminga took him right off the dribble, right to the rim, put his shoulder into him, sent him about a row deep under the basket, and just dunked it with complete. And it was like he wasn't even there. It was it was that that play more than any other is like, oh, boy, that's not good against a, a fellow rookie and a kid coming out of the, the G League Ignite. Now, on the flip side, you can say, all right, well, Kaminga had that experience of playing against pros and he is a little bit stronger probably than the average rookie coming in and those kind of things. So did they, but you asked the right question is can he hang defensively? Because if he can, then sure, he'll play a ton at the three because that's really the number one thing this team is lacking is a true three uh, player. So, Hey, if he can, great. If he can't do to hang there defensively, then you probably have to use him more at the four. And that starts to become a little bit more messy. Um, Offensively, most people are going to focus on, he needs to make shots. That'll come with time. I'm not worried about that part of it. If he's going to be a wing, he has to be able to do something off the dribble. At least it needs to be a catch attack a closeout, make two dribbles, make a pass, um, catch the ball on a swing, move it to the right place, those kind of things that you rely on for your perimeter wing players uh, versus kind of being the last guy to catch and then shoot. He needs to be somebody who can be involved in keeping the ball moving. That's what I'm looking for from him on offense, more than I'm worried about him uh, doing much as a, as a shooter because I do think that will eventually come and not be an issue. Uh, yeah, Summer League, it was certainly an issue. That was, uh, that was a yeah. rough go for him in Summer League. Yeah. Do you have any clues or insight into what we can expect this team's identity to be under Jamal Mosley? Yeah, they're going to play really, really hard. And I think I do think they're going to actually defend okay. Um, they'll have some of the missteps and there'll be some breakdowns just because they're so young and they haven't been together at all. Um, so that'll happen. But I think especially when Isaac is back, they can put a pretty good defensive group on the floor um, that I think can give even some of the better teams problems. Cause assuming Isaac is back to what he was, that's a guy who could win defensive player of the year. He's that good defensively. Mm-hmm. Gary Harris is a tough, uh, rugged defender. I think Suggs is probably going to be a little bit ahead defensively uh, versus his offense to start. Um, his timing as a shot blocker for a guard is unreal. Um, I think he could average a block per game. He's, he's just got that, a uh, good athleticism, sense of timing, and all that. Uh, you can uh, Bomba can still do some stuff as a shot blocker, rim protector. We know Robin Lopez is still a pretty solid defender. Fultz has been a pretty good defender throughout the uh, uh, part of his career. Cole Anthony, he he gets a little crazy sometimes defensively, but he does get after it. So I think that's going to be their identity more than anything is. I think there's going to be a night where. 
if you look at the standings as a really good team and you're like, all right, we're going to Orlando, that's a win on a random Tuesday in January, and you show up and just assume you're going to roll the ball out and win, they might uh, surprise a team or two just by playing with greater effort level than I think teams are used to seeing in the regular season. And I think because they're so young, they'll be able to bring that night night in, night out. And that's now should that get everybody super excited? Yeah, that's tough because you're saying your team plays really hard, but playing hard is a skill. It is an attribute that not everybody shows. So I do think that they will have that and they will get after it. We've, I think there's probably one of two answers here. We talked about both of them, but whether it's a specific, position or, or skill set what is this team's biggest weakness right now uh the offensive end of the floor i mean all of it uh who's going to make <laughs> shots for them how are they going to create shots it, it's just it's it, it is it's just a mess i mean we talked about it off the jump it's, it's anthony and Suggs are the only guys who can really uh you know, consistently create offense until Fultz is back. And then Fultz has even been somewhat limited because teams until he shows he's going to knock down jumpers, we'll, we'll play him to do that. They really need, especially early on, I think what we're going to see is a guy like Terrence Ross is going to play considerable minutes early on just because he's such a good shooter and they're going to need that out there. And, and I think what you want to do is you don't want to right off the jump, you know, lose your first, you know, 10 out of your first 12 games and the season's over before we even get to Christmas. You want to have these guys at least have some hope and feel at least somewhat good about where things are going as far as on the court goes. So I think you're going to see Ross and Lopez and Harris and those guys play a good amount at the beginning, and then they'll eventually phase those guys out. But offensively, it's got the potential to be a mess. I think if you like that 1990s, you know, 95, 90 games, the this version of the magic may be for you. Cause I do think they can hang in there um, uh, defensively most nights, but creating offense on a regular basis, it's going to be tough unless they can really do it by getting out and running and, and uh, getting stuff in transition. I'm almost wondering too, if faults can even measurably improve their shot creation when he's healthy, just, I'm not sure that they have the spacing around him to capitalize on what, you know, he's going to do best when he wants to, you know, the cadence of his game when he gets inside the arc, yeah. I, they just, they need a good amount of shooters around him. And I'm not sure that they have those right now. Yeah. It's very different than when he was there prior and you had Nick Vucevic who had become a very good shooting big and Fournier was pretty good shooter. Gordon would come and go as a shooter, but they, they always had more than enough floor balance with him. And now that that's going to be a little bit of the challenges. Yeah. His best, uh, attribute offensively is breaking down a defense, getting into the paint, making plays, whether that's driving kick to the perimeter or finding the bigs and those things. And if everything's collapsed around him, it is going to be tough for him to find that room to operate. There are probably many answers to this question and it can change as the season progresses and, and we have more information, but as of right now, who would you bill as the player most likely to get traded from this team before the deadline? I think it the most likely to get traded is probably Terrence Ross. Uh, he's got a pretty easy, easily movable contract at $12.5 million. Every single year at the trade deadline, someone is looking for perimeter shooting and bench help, and there's not a lot of guys that do that much better than Terrence Ross does. Mm -hmm. Yes, he's very streaky, but he's got a pretty good track record of bringing that, and I think that's got him in a position where he's probably going to be moved. He's got a second year left on his deal at 11.5 million. That's still, I think you're perfectly fine to, to pay that. If you're any other team in the league, he should deliver at least that kind of value as a um, high leverage uh, bench player. So I, I think he's probably number one. And then I would say Robin Lopez uh, right behind him, just because I think I don't necessarily think Lopez will get traded, but I think there's a chance just because at 5 million, again, teams seem to regularly be looking for a big, um, you know, going into to the playoffs to firm up their rotation. And at 5 million, any team in the league can acquire him very easily via trade. So, so I, I think yeah, it's Ross and then probably Lopez right behind him. Is there a chance that this team, I termed it in the outline, turns into a mega seller at the deadline, by which I mean just that they're looking at moving players you necessarily wouldn't have on that list right away because they don't, I think Suggs and Jonathan Isaac, and I guess because he was just drafted, you could say Franz Wagner, like those are maybe the untouchables or like your core. But like, I'm also just looking at this roster and like, if I'm Orlando, the only person I actually view is 
untouchable because you're not, you know, you're not buying when you're in their position. I only look at Suggs as untouchable. And I'm just wondering if they start to render maybe verdicts on guys earlier than we expected to where do they move even one of Wendell Carter Jr. or Mobamba rather than seeing what happens in restricted free agency? Do they look at what if Fultz is, you know, comes back by Christmas, plays really good basketball for a month, um, is healthy just before the trade deadline? Is he someone that they could look at rerouting if there's a market? Just scenarios along those lines. Yeah, I mean, something has to give on the guard line because with Anthony, Suggs, Fultz, Hampton, Harris, there's just too many guys. They, in, in, it's questionable that they can play three of them together on any sort of regular basis. So something needs to give there. So I think we could see that become a thing where it becomes, hey, we're in a position where, all right, yeah, you know, we're going to move on from, uh, you know, Fultz because there's an offer out there and a team really likes him. Or do you look at it and say, all right, well, you know, the value is not there for Fultz, but somebody really likes Cole Anthony and that's just eating up minutes that we'd rather give to Suggs and Fultz. I think something could give there. And then I think that one you mentioned first, the, the two centers, assuming neither of them signs an extension, you could very easily go into this year with, all right, hey, we're just going to remove the whole restricted free agency uh, problem question from the mix, and we'll move on from one of the two of them. But the the rest of the guys, I mean, yeah, Suggs isn't going anywhere. I don't think Franz Wagner's going anywhere. I don't think Isaac's going anywhere. I think Okiki's here to stay. I think Hampton is pretty close to uh, – I don't want to say he's untouchable because clearly he's not that but i think um you know they're just it's going to be hard to see a deal that makes sense to move him in but yeah it's going to be a lot of it so much with this team depends on what do fultz and isaac look like when they get back and then how does that trickle down to the remaining guys on the roster because then that'll help help guide decisions for what do we need to do right now and in the future this question is to some extent matchup dependent, and I would argue, especially with this team, and it also operates under the assumption that they'll be trying to win. What is their ideal crunch time lineup or most effective <laughs> crunch time lineup to you? Yeah, I think um, so. Let, let's say my snarky answer wants to be whatever delivers a one point loss. So then they can, <laughs> you know, hey, we were in it, but, you know, the loss isn't the worst thing in the world. Um, but no, I, I think. Suggs, because you want him out there getting those reps. Cole Anthony actually was pretty good in the clutch last year. He actually made a couple game winners and he made some plays. So I think there's there's a chance he's out there. Um, Fultz is so hard to play at the end of games just because he he won't shoot. Um, there was times when he even when he was healthy and this team was a playoff team that he wasn't always on the floor at the end of game. So I'll say whatever one of the bigs played the best that night, um, out of Carter, Bamba, maybe even Robin Lopez, if you're really going for it. Terrence Ross tends to just find his way on the floor. So there's two guys, and then I'll say Suggs and Anthony, and then Isaac um, when he's healthy just because he should be out there. So that, that's probably where, where they go, um, just at least uh, initially. But it wouldn't be a surprise at all if it was one of those where, hey, we're actually in a close game. We want to see what it looks like with Franz Wagner on the floor. So we're going to have him out there instead of Terrence Ross. And he's going to run the same actions Ross runs, but we're going to run him for Franz and uh, just go that way. They, they wouldn't shock me at all if that's something that they tried. My God, this team's lineup data is going to be all over the place this season. Yeah. Here for it. Uh, yeah. It- <laughs> is there look I think looking at this roster, they probably could get weird in some instances if they want to. Is there sort of that out of left field, unconventional lineup you're hoping that Jamal Mosley will try at some point this season? Yeah, I want to see them play. I mean, so this is a broken record with Jonathan Isaac, but I want to see him at the five at some point. So I'd like to see Isaac at the five, Wagner at the Franz Wagner at the four. And then let's play, let, let's get crazy. Let's play three of the guards together. Let's play uh, Suggs, Anthony, and Fultz together. Let's play the uh, Suggs, Anthony, and Hampton together. Let's go, let's go really crazy because I think that's just something I want to see. Um, that's going to, probably be a post trade deadline kind of thing when it's like all right we're we we're we've raised a white flag it's time to uh, fully lean into some weird stuff here with this group but I, I do think there's a chance we get some stuff like that i don't the the part i'm least uh 
hopeful of is the Isaac at the five because they they just they won't they haven't done it yet they don't seem to have any interest in doing it I don't know that he necessarily wants to do it all that much so you're probably more going to get Carter Bamba at the five and then that'll squeeze Wagner off the floor but if they can yeah let's 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 get crazy and play all the the kind of key guys together and just see hey is there something we can make fit uh, out of this grouping and stumble into it I'm going to one up your insanity with my pick and say I want <laughs> I want four guards plus Wendell Carter Jr. Or if Jonathan Isaac was going to take threes, I would love to see him there too. But give me Fultz, Anthony Suggs, Hampton plus Wendell oh. Carter Jr. to four. Look, let's just see what happens at this point. What do you have yeah. to lose? And then, I'm they gave nothing to lose except a game, which is not a bad thing because that's one more ping pong ball. So let's go. I'm with it. And look, there's a chance that that unit ends up being like pretty good offensively because you do have like, those are probably some of your best. Those are most of your best offensive players on the court mm-hmm. at once. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the challenges, new coaches almost always tend to go towards a, what's not going to make us look like a complete train wreck on the defensive end. Um, right. <laughs> that seems to be the history with them. Um, but the cool thing with Jamal Mosley is they have clearly leaned into there are no expectations of let's try to be good and be a surprise. You always hear those things a lot of times with teams of like, Hey, we're going to shock people. We're going to be better than people think. And we're really trying to make the playoffs. No, they're not coming out and saying, yeah, we stink and we're going to be terrible. Um, but they have talked over and over and over again. In, in Mosley himself has talked. It's about development. It's about figuring out what these guys can do, who fits together. And his only thing that he's consistently stressed is if you want to play, you need to play hard and you need to play as a good teammate and all those things they they did something that was kind of fun they hung this big giant blue bell in their practice facility and when they make what they call like a magic play they they go and ring the bell and that's diving on the floor for a loose ball or you know getting a rebound over the top of somebody setting a really solid screen to free somebody up it's all these little things that you know you're not going to there's no stats for it necessarily, or there's not going to show up, you know, in the box score. And, and unless you're watching, you're, you're not going to know what knew what happened, but that's what they're trying to build is play, play really hard, play for each other and get after it that way. And I th- think that is um, the right mindset for this team to have at least this year, and probably realistically into next year as well. That's what's exciting about this team where even, you know, you don't have Isaac or Fultz on the floor right now. You do have Suggs, which is a draw, but I would argue if nothing else, their guard rotation is just super interesting. They're just a lot of intriguing younger guys there, but it's also finally, and I think whether you're a fan of the magic or just the league at large, you have to appreciate that they're no longer trying to tread water in that like six to 10 spot. They're finally aiming for, for something bigger. And I think that's what makes this season even more exciting um, than that fire sale that they held at, at the trade deadline last year. Yeah, and so it's very interesting to hear you say that because there's the challenge here with the Magic is they need to be interesting one way or the other. It needs to be all right. They're they're a good team and they're pushing for the playoffs, or they are really terrible, but at least they're fun and young. And I'm watching and I'm rooting for one point losses Uh, because what happens here in in central florida is it's college football all the way until we get to the holidays and no one really cares about the magic all that much so i mean they'll sell out their games and they'll have fans there and stuff but it's not they're you know even though they're the only professional big four sports team in the in the city they'll be fifth on the you know sports radio lineup because it's they're going to talk you know four college football teams in the box uh maybe and then then you know we'll see then if they're not good by the time the springtime rolls around Orlando City Soccer has kind of captured the city uh, quite a bit, and people love them because no one came here with their own um, you know, soccer team. So right. Orlando is a city where no one's from here. Everybody kind of moves to Orlando. So people came in with their own NBA team. So it's it's very hard to get, get them to give them up to root for the Magic. So they have to be interesting one way or another. And leaning into this rebuild is huge because now everybody can look at it and say, now there's a clear direction. I can kind of get behind this. Now, making the playoffs a couple of years ago, the bubble season, just so weird, right? Because they didn't even get any of the benefit of playing home playoff games in that right. sense. But a couple of years ago, making the playoffs, that was big because people were really kind of out on this team because it was, all right, they're, they're, they're never really 
terrible. So there's not any hope of getting Zion or a guy like that, but they're not even a playoff team. So making the playoffs was huge. And then, you know, them taking that first game, <clears throat> excuse me, off that Raptors team and uh, coming back for game three uh, in Orlando. It was loud in that building and people were fired up and excited and, and all those things. And they lost. But I think if you could get Jeff Weltman and John Hammond, the president of basketball operations and the GM, respectively, to take truth serum and admit, you know, hey, this is what we we're trying to do, they would say we we wanted to trade Vooch. We wanted to trade Fournier. We probably wanted to trade Aaron Gordon. We wanted to move on from all those guys and really build the team we wanted to build. And then they made the playoffs and I was like, crap, we can't turn right around and sell off every guy after just making the playoffs. Fortunately, they locked in a, a bunch of pretty good contracts. They're all fairly easily movable. And that's why all those guys did get moved. But, but I think now they're relishing the opportunity to kind of really build this thing the way they think it should be built. And I think that's got people here looking at it and saying, all right, I can get on board with this. I'm excited to see where this goes. As we record this, their win total over under is set at 22.5. Are you taking the over or the under on that? Yeah, the guys who set these lines are really, really good <laughs> because that's, <laughs> that's kind of where, where I am. Is, um, you know, it, it's, it's always hard to pick a team to lose 60 games, right? Even though every year somebody, you know, one or two or three people do. I, I will say I'm going to, I'm going to take over, but it's only because, the number of 23 wins has stuck in my head uh, for a while now with this team. So I've got them at, at 23 and 59. So I'm going to, I'm going to take over, but, uh, but that's the only reason why I don't know that I feel good about them having the opportunity to, you know, scratch 30 wins and never mind any higher than that. It just, not this year, not with the offensive issues they're going to have. And I know the Eastern conference is like the middle of it is is deeper and more competitive but like the worst team in the east was still the 23 win pace last year in detroit and so that's why i'm tempted to get it feels like orlando would really have to lean into the skid in the middle of the season for them to not hit 23 but, but maybe i'm wrong but i've been pretty generous with with my overs as we've gone through these but 22.5 is just so damn low yeah that's the thing it's i mean you start to really look at that is a number where if you're not pricing in a major injury, you're a major injury away from being a you know 12 or 13 win team at that point. Now, did you could question, you know, well, what would a major injury even be for Orlando? Because they're just not going to be very good. But yeah, I, I think I think when you factor in, there could be some trades. There are moves, some of the guys who help winning win games in that they're very young. Uh, they're not going to push uh Fultz and Isaac overly hard this year. And then I think by the end of the year, whatever veterans are on the team might as well start a vacation early. Cause I don't think they're going to see the floor all that right. often. I, I think, think this is a team that'll start stacking losses real quick at the end. So yeah, it's, I, like I said, 23, I feel pretty good about, but yeah, if this was a 24 or 25 win over under, I'd probably pick the under just cause it's, it's that tight of a window, but yeah, it's just tough. I, I don't, they may be the worst team in the East. We'll see compared to the Pistons and then the poor Cavs who are there. They're trying um, to, to get out of it. And, you know, and then we'll see what happens with Oklahoma city and Houston, right? We'll, we'll, we'll see, you know, where do they go against those guys? So yeah, it's, it's, I, it would not shock me at all if the magic went into the lottery with the most uh, ping pong balls, just because I think as you look at it, like, yeah, that could be the way it all falls apart and goes for them. Yeah, I don't look at a team and say in the league at all. I mean, forget about where they stand in the East. I, I think the worst record will be between Orlando and Detroit just because every other team is is trying, even if Cleveland's try is sort of like, all right, boy, it's not going to last sure. that long, but there you go. Um, Oklahoma City and Houston are probably like, those are those are clearly the four worst teams in the NBA to me. I don't know. Yep. Oklahoma City is the team that I want to say is definitely going to be worse because I, I, I don't think Sam Presti is going to let them be better, but Shea Gilders Alexander is really freaking good and Lou Dort's good. That also might just be it when you're looking at like above average players on the roster <laughs> yeah. this season. So I'm going to say the magic. Here's my bold prediction. Orlando will not have the worst record in the NBA this year. <laughs> I, I think you're right on that. Cause I just, I don't think they're going to be naturally that bad. I, I think, I, I just think they've got a bunch of guys 
who are going to play really hard. And I think their veteran guys are guys who are looking to prove something in Fultz and Isaac that are, hey, we're healthy, we're here, we're, we're actually able to go and be pretty good. And I think that's kind of maybe the difference between a couple of these other teams. And, and I don't see them – Oklahoma City, I mean, it got pretty blatant last year when it was like, see you later, Al Horford. All right, Shay you know, enjoy, you know, Cancun or whatever it is, or probably not right. Cause of COVID, but it was probably just, you know, Hey, enjoy sitting on the couch. Um, it was a lot of, uh, you know, stuff there. And I don't know that Orlando will ever blatantly lean into that. I also, they don't have any veterans who are quite that level of good that I think are there. They're going to be like, man, if we play Markel Fultz tonight, he, we might actually win this game. I don't think they're overly worried about that. And I think the Pistons, they've got enough good veterans that they could probably be better, but they even pretty actively started resting Jeremy Grant and guys like that. So, so I think that more than anything is going to be what keeps Orlando maybe ahead of a couple teams in the standings. Yeah, Detroit was top 10 in crunch time minutes played leading into the All-Star break. They weren't winning those games, but the the front office had to be looking at that like, all right, like we really need to make sure this doesn't keep happening in case we start accidentally winning some of those games. Yeah, as someone who covers the Boston Celtics, I am well aware of uh, what the Pistons were playing like early in the year because they gave Boston everything that they could, could handle and more, including beating them at least once, if not twice. Is there anyone on this team or anything about this team I did not ask you that you think needs to be discussed? Um, no, I don't think so. I I, I think, I mean, we kind of hit on all of it. It's this team, I feel, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with Oklahoma City where it's, you can look at it and it's, you can almost imagine any number of lineup combinations and opening groups and closing groups and everything else. And it, it really is. A, it's a team that as you kind of run through it, 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 a lot of it doesn't make a whole lot of sense um, right now. And I think that's the challenge Jamal Mosley has because yeah, it's great to have these guys play hard, but you also got to see, all right, how do they fit together? How are we making this work? And there's there's some guys here who have to show some stuff that hasn't been there. And then you run the risk of a guy like Gary Harris, and I'm not going to accuse him of this because he's never been this kind of player, but he's on an expiring contract. He's the yeah. one guy with the big, big money deal. Does he look at it and be like, hey, I got to put up numbers. I got to look kind of good here because if not, you know, does it, do, do I end up going the way of like an auto Porter jr. Where my next deal is a minimum deal. Cause I didn't look very good on a bad team. Um, you know, what, what happens there? And that's something that Mosley's just going to have to manage through and figure out. But yeah, it's the good news is they are infinitely more interesting than the group of the last two seasons where it felt like, all right, we kind of know what, what, they are and and i do think last year's team had they stayed healthy probably still would have been in the mix to be in the play-in and then i think once they they had they once they passed the point of no return with injuries uh jeff Weldon said forget this let's tear it all the way down and and i give uh um alex martins who really kind of runs the team on behalf of the ownership group i give him a lot of credit for saying yep do it you know take it all the way down i mean they we always say you know get rid of everybody they did about as close as you can do to that. I mean, I tweeted a few times that the the idea of Terrence Ross being uh, the Will Smith gift where he's standing there <laughs> looking around at the empty room because it really was. It was like Terrence Ross was the only guy left because Isaac and Bolts weren't even there because they were both hurt. So it was really like uh, T. Ross just kind of staring around at, all right, well, I guess this is what it is now. Um, and, and to be quite frankly, uh, frank about it, I'm shocked he's still on this team. I, I If you had given me the number one player that would have got traded in the offseason and got moved, I, I might have taken Terrence Ross. Uh, but but here it is. And I, and, and, and I still don't believe he's going to last the, the whole season with the Magic. But, yeah, I, I do. I, I hope people are completely out on this team because I think you'll have more fun watching these guys as a casual viewer of the NBA if you're kind of flipping around on lead pass. Plus, they play their home starts are always in that 7 o'clock window where there's only like Very convenient. Games. You know, so yeah, so pop in there for that first half hour and go. And and I think uh, they think you'll have some fun uh, watching this young group get up and down the floor. My top three reasons to watch the Magic for our, our listeners this season. Jalen Suggs, the RJ Hampton breakout is coming. I'm calling it. And the prospect, however far-fetched, of that four-guard lineup that we just outlined before. You have <laughs> I to hope so, man. It never comes out. Keith, this was great as always. Are you able to tell our listeners where they can find you and all the work that you do? 
yeah, you can find my uh, league-wide coverage, a lot of salary and roster stuff at Spot Track. Um, that's probably the, what I'm known for there. Uh, then if you're looking for, I know we just did the Magic Pod, but if you're looking for Boston Celtics coverage, um, I'm part of the team over at Celtics Blog. And then I cover the Magic a lot just because I'm here in Orlando, so I'm around the team uh, quite a bit when I go to a game. That generally tends to be uh, where, where I'm at. And then uh, if you're interested in um, roster stuff and the league as a whole, uh, my co-host Trevor Lane and I, we host a, a YouTube show and podcast called NBA Front Office Show. We have a lot of fun. We break down all the latest news and notes. And then once the season starts, we'll be doing a near a near daily show where we break down kind of what happened the night uh, before in the NBA and uh, a, lot, a lot of uh, focus on it's not gonna be a lot of lebron james was really good it's probably gonna be more hey surprise uh this guy towards the end of the uh magic bench stepped up and had a nice game we're gonna try to bring you things that you maybe didn't notice as you were uh, maybe more focused on your team so check that out as well yeah or if you were just distracted by all the ben simmons drama that's going on <laughs> be great for that. we do a thing on the front office show whenever there's simmons news we sound the simmons siren and uh we put so is it just going off 24 7 right now basically? yeah kind of yeah we we kind of set a rule that if there was um it was one of those days where there was a you know 15 of those non-update updates where like, we're not doing it then like we're not going to sound the siren for that um but yeah but there's been been a lot of the sounding of the simmons siren for sure yeah, recycling is good. Um, we don't need the recycled news breaks, though. That's not breaking news. <laughs> uh, be sure to follow Keith on Twitter as well. Fantastic follow at Keith Smith NBA, spelled exactly as it sounds. Just want to reiterate, Keith, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for giving me so much of your time. And you can rest assured that I will be pestering you again in the future. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.